Yes, guys, welcome back to another episode of Teams Like Boys. I know it's been a long time since the last time we were here, but it's safe to say a lot of things have happened, Mark. Um, but let, let's start Let's start off with the first thing. Uh, a draw against Fulham, which uh, was very underwhelming for some Brighton fans. Yeah, and and in the pouring down rain as well. So not the not the best journey home for a lot of those fans after afterwards as well. Um, no, the, the first half I thought was uh, really entertaining from a Brighton perspective. If the if the ball would have just got in the net a few more times, it probably would have helped them out. Um, but as it was, you know, it wasn't to be. And I thought, you know, Fulham were um, Fulham came with a with, with a plan after half time. I thought they were pretty uh, they were pretty dour in the first half. But in the second half, they kind of turned up for the occasion a little bit more and and got the goal. And then Brighton just couldn't. Squeezing a winner, which was uh, which was a shame for the home fans. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it seems to be a bit of a theme at the moment for us when we, we get ourselves in a winning position, where we just can't seem to finish the job off that little base. Everything seems to go right until we get into that final third when we're one nil up, and then something just doesn't click or connect. Yeah. And it's not even the fact that the defenders are clicking again; it's the fact that I think we over we overdo it. I think we overthink it sometimes when I just think, just give it to Ferguson, just give him to give him a f- three or four opportunities and he'll find the net. And he did, he, he did in the first goal, which was superbly taken. I have to say, it's just he's such a ridiculously good finisher for someone who's still got a teen at the end of his num age. It's it's almost criminal the fact he is so well accomplished in this league. Yeah, absolutely. That that record that that came out after the game, obviously the first teenager since Wayne Rooney to score double digits in a calendar year in the Premier League, which, you know, the amount of players that have, that have come after Rooney and, and before Ferguson, it speaks volumes. And I think he's got, what, nine league games left in order to to get Rooney got 11 in, in that year, 2005. And, and, and Ferguson's got nine games. I know, you know, he hasn't really played every single minute of every single game, but he's got more than enough time to go and break that record. Um, but no, I agree. I mean, in, in years gone by, and especially under Graham Potter, it was always a case of, you know, Brighton failing to, to put the ball in the net for, for different reasons, just not having the quality in, in positions and, and being able to actually get that final touch. But now it, it almost seems different, doesn't it? That there is so much quality in that team and so much attacking quality. And you just think, come on, <laughs> you know, stop passing around. Maybe just give the ball to Ferguson because everything he touches uh, in the last 12 months seems to be turning to gold. Yeah, absolutely. And Again, it's just that that frustration that we get in whenever we push ourselves forward, and then sometimes we get ourselves vulnerable in the counter, and then I, I don't want to slag him off because he's he he's got a brand new contract, and we'll talk about him and his like what can we call it a resurrection in his footballing career. But Jason Steele's pass that led to Palinia's equaliser, which was a cracking shot as well. It has to be said, top bins took the opportunity well but it just seems that the errors are coming back coming again from the back yeah and and we saw that a little bit at the start of the season that takes you back to the the West Ham game where there was a couple of uh slip-ups there and times playing out from the back and and yeah it's it's frustrating to see and and I think for um for fans of of clubs that do like to play in this way and, and Brighton obviously not the only one in the league that do it you know, most managers will say, well, we're not changing. You know, this is this is how we do it. So it is just down to, to players, which I think puts a lot of unfair pressure on a lot of those individuals, especially ones that, you know, aren't particularly the manager's players, which obviously, you know, Jason definitely isn't one. You know, he's been at the club since 2018 now and, and barely had a chance. But, you know, it was Roberto that put him in in the first place. So he obviously has faith in him and, and faith that he can carry out the system that he wants to do. But, yeah, you're right. It, it was another mistake. And I know the fans, you know, get 
get on Steely's back quite a lot in, in, in times like this. And, and you know, a new contract, it, it did surprise me a little bit when I saw the news come in. But, um, you know, he, um, I thought it was interesting, David Weir said in, in his in his comments, you know, he mentioned how patient, you know, Jason has had to be in order to get his opportunity. So uh, I'm sure he's thrilled with it and, and, and his family are and everything like that. But, um, yeah, it wasn't uh, uh, the, the best moment, should we put it, to, uh, to gift the ball away in the second half uh, on Sunday. It did amuse me when I saw that comment from David Weir that he had to wait for his moment. We all know that he came in just to get the homegrown quota in. He was third or fourth choice for a good few seasons. And then all of a sudden, Deserby just went, right, I'm giving Jason Steele a try. Sanchez is prone to an error. I'm going to give him a chance. And to be fair to him, I mean, he's taking his chance really, really well. But you look at what that happened in the summer transfer, we got Bart Bruggen in, who, yeah, 21 years old, he's young, but he's got room to grow. Obviously, he's not clicked just yet, shall we say, with the, you know, the, the start of play yet, the passing. He's a few times he's been a bit shaky and then he's been prone to give a goal away here or there. I do believe we haven't actually achieved a clean sheet so far this season, which to me, just seems a little bit bonkers. Oh, there, was the, there was the Ajax clean sheet. <clears throat> oh, yeah, the Ajax clean sheet, yes. Uh, but, just, but just one out of about 14 games or so. What? In, in, in the Premier League, I, I should have said oh, yeah. more yeah. specific yeah. then. But I, I, but again, like, Verbruggen's shown promise, but he's just not there yet. And De Zerbi seems to always fall on steel anyway. So he's such a good player for the squad he's not someone that's just ticking a few boxes for the admin he's someone that actually can um affect change and put put in a good shift in when he can it's just there's been a few times where where it's just been so frustrating because the defense definitely deserved the clean sheet but somehow some way we just seem to just gift these opportunities even when we're in a comfortable winning position what was the status or we're the first club this season to score 10 and concede 10. That's it, yeah, yeah. As well, which is just, which is mental. At one point, we're like the highest goal, highest um, goal scorers in the league, but then we also had the leakiest defence as well, which when you look at the games, when you look at the football, you don't think that this defence is prone to a, an error or... Uh, prone to a goal, it's it's a pretty competent back four and and goalkeeper to boot as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And it's you know, you say highest scorers and, and most conceded. You would expect that what are the hallmarks of teams that that do that? It's kind of you know like completely open. It's almost like a bizarre mismatch of a, of a team. But that isn't Brighton in, in so many ways. They are they well they they can be incredibly regimented, incredibly structured. You know that the. the the hallmarks of their attacking game are, are exactly that, are to stay in shape and, and, and cause the opposition to, to kind of move out and then attack those spaces that are left. So you're right, on, on the face of it, they don't seem like kind of kind of chaotic side that will be doing that. So then it does come down to, you know, you know there are goals that happen on the counter and things like that. And, and that is a, a result of, of pushing high up the pitch and, and trying to play that energetic attacking football. But you're right. There are moments where it's just individual errors, and it's just basic moments that that are that are really costing them. And I don't know how many times now I've read quotes or heard players or heard Deserbi himself saying this week, or sorry, this season about the difficulty of playing more regularly and changing his squad and things like that. But 
I think there are there is only so far that argument goes until you say you know there, these are mistakes that aren't being made because the players are tired. It doesn't look that way, or or because you know the system isn't working. It's a lot of individual errors. So um, yeah, cutting those out is, is going to be really important. Luckily, Brian haven't really fallen away or anything as such. There haven't been any you know barring the Aston Villa game. There hasn't been any disasters really. So for now, it, it's kind of keep on keeping on. I think for Deserbi and make sure that fingers crossed as we get into this kind of really busy period those mistakes just iron themselves out and you put it down to having a lot of new players in the team and and a lot of young players in there as well yeah absolutely no doubt he'll be wanting a response over at goodison park um a place where he's got a bit of fond memories from last season but uh different uh manager altogether he faced him at the amex uh, which was just a, a self-implosion that can only be described there. But b- before I actually go and talk about the Everton match, I just want to get your thoughts on <clears throat> Palinia. Now, Palinia, obviously the goal scorer, he got the equaliser, but earlier on, a lot of people on Twitter seemed to think that he should have got his marching orders, should have had a, an early team bath. What did you? What, what were your thoughts on that moment? Have you see, did you see the the replays and all the clips online? I, I I saw the replays and and obviously you take everything with a pinch of salt when it's slowed down to within an inch of its life. I, I I do get that. My initial reaction, which is what we can really go on, my initial reaction was that it was a booking, but I didn't personally think it was a sending off. It just had to be him to score the goal. I mean, it always is in those kind of scenarios. But yeah, in real time reaction, I wasn't certain it was a sending off. Uh, I can see both sides of the coin, to be honest with you. Palinia is a player that, you know, he's he's had a few... He's only been in English football for, you know, just over 12 months, but he's already had a couple of red cards. And he is a player that very much plays on the edge. So it is within his character to kind of put in those kind of... Um, those challenges and things like that. But, yeah, based on the on the moment I saw it, I didn't really think it was sending off. I think it would have spoiled the game a little bit. But I can see the frustrations and, and why people wanted to, to see him. What did you think? Yeah, when I saw it in real time, I thought... It, it, it didn't look like as if it was going to be one that was going to be a red card. It didn't look like he was leading too much with the elbow. It didn't look like as if he used excessive force, which is the key yeah, criteria for, for the, the red the force, card. It? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was virgin on dangerous play, which if you're a football nerd like me and a qualified ref, you will know that that's, that's, that's a yellow card. That's unsporting behavior. That's a, that's a, that's a warning basically. But, you know, VAR don't look at yellow cards um, regardless of that situation. The ref deemed it fair. So I think Grocers would feel a bit hard done by. I think anyone who gets struck in the head and they see an elbow going towards them, they they, they want to see the red card. They get angry about it. So it just, it, like like you say, it's just the writing's on the wall, isn't it? As soon as he's got that lucky yeah, man, he, he's, he's going to take that chance. And he did, he did well with it. It's just, again, it's just frustrating that we're just bringing in those chances, just not capitalising on it. And I think that's the main thing we really need to focus on rather than, was this a red card? Was this a yellow card? The fact that Howard Webb hasn't apologised for it or any statement from the PMGOL, I think that says a lot, really. I think really by the letter of the law, it, it, it was... It should have been a yellow, but in terms of a red card, it, it, it it's just not, which yeah, is uh, frustrating, frustrating as a Brighton fan because uh, I would like to go ahead and moan and blame someone else. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it's not it's not the case. But let, let's move on because, like I said, we, we go back to Goodison Park and obviously anyone who was there New Year's, on the New Year's uh, trip, that was 
great fun. 4-1. Deserby ball is in full swing here. And all of a sudden, this is belief about going into Europe. Then we welcome them to the Amex and it's just a self-implosion and we lose 5-1 to um, Sean I Love Goals Deitch, which just seems, <clears throat> it seems typical really at that point. But we're going into this match and things are clicking at Everton with Sean Deitch, it's fair to say. Um, three wins in their last four in all competitions. They lost in the Merseyside Derby. And they would have felt a bit hard done by uh, with some of the decisions that they made. Um, if if you believe everything you see on Twitter and social media and how people reacted to that match. What, what what's your feeling going into this match, Mark? Um, I, I love games against Everton. I've, I've uh, in, in every season, I've been kind of in press boxes in the, in the Premier League. Goodison, you know, it's the worst press box in the Premier League. I'm sure a lot of journalists will tell you that. It's the tightest row of benches you've ever been in. I'm looking forward to the new stadium, but it's um, it's a fantastic stadium to go to and it's always a good game. I love the crowd there um, and it's it's no different. I think this year it's going to be an, a really tasty fixture. You mentioned the two results there from last year, you know, chalk and cheese in, in the performances, you know, at the Amex, Brighton made Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and Dwight McNeil turn into, you know, kind of Messi and Ronaldo at, at points. They look so good in that game, I remember. Um, but no, I think it's going to be a really challenging one. Like you said, their form at the moment is uh, is is on is, is good. They won their cup game in midweek fairly convincingly as well. I thought that was a good result for them. Um, so they'll probably be up for it. But then, you know, Brighton have had a week off, which is how many times have you been able to say that in the last couple of months? Uh, not not very many at all. So fingers crossed that that bit of rest and recuperation does them well. And and hopefully they, we could see another bit of Deserby ball back up on Merseyside this weekend. Yeah, and it, it's fair to say that the form that's going in for Everton is uh, softening the blow with everything that's gone off the pitch. Bill Kenwright sadly passed away, um, easily one of the top, top blokes in in, in the football hierarchy. And, you know, he's, he, he's almost the last of a dying breed, really. He's just someone who just knows football, loves football, and a gentleman at that as well, um, which is very sad to hear about his passing. But also as well, everything else that's going on at Everton, the financial fair play and talks of a points deduction is not something that you want to hear. And as things stand, Everton have 10 points on there, five points clear of um, the three newly promoted sides who sit in the in the relegation zone pretty comfortably as well, has to be said. So I suppose the question is going to, going to be like, where, where can you see Everton's future going at the moment? I think it, it all hinges on the on these massive decisions off of the pitch, which is you know it's not where you want to be in as a as a football fan, as a player, as a manager, anything like that. You want to be able to dictate the future of your club based on the performances you give out on the pitch. So that's not a fantastic situation to be in. The the ownership, the the move to the stadium, these are all massive moments for for a club at any point, let alone all coming in the same kind of uh, intense period and. and you know the, the the worry about the the points deductions, the, the financial fair play. It's it's all coming to a boil at, at one point for Everton, and and you know Sean Dyche is a you know a brave man for taking on that job. I personally think after seeing so many managers go in there and, and fail to kind of keep hold of of the reins, you know, fall out with people, the the, the toxicity of the fan base when they turn, they've got every right to do that. Like I said, I've been to Goodison quite a few times before and, and seen how, you know, I've seen owners not be able to turn up to Goodison and, and, and board members not be able to turn up to Goodison because there was threats about their safety at, at the games and, and, and this kind of stuff. So it's 
a lot. It's a, it's a really difficult situation going up there. You just got to hope that for their sakes, they can produce enough results on the pitch to um, to keep them in the league because that's the you know that's going to be the biggest thing for them, isn't it? And and I've said this from the start of the season. I think there are three teams that are, that are worse than them, and I think you've seen from from the recent results and they've got an experienced manager that that they should be okay and they've got the players in there that, that can keep them up. But um, but you never know with 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 football, do you? So you know if all this kind of stuff comes to a head in the new year and and we get headlines saying there's points deductions and stuff, then it'll be a, a whole different a whole different you know kind of situation. But all Brighton can do is is focus on themselves really and, and go up there and, and and try and come back with three points, which would be the first three points since uh, September, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, in the Premier League. It's four games that a win now, isn't it? In the league, yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's uh, yeah, it's, well it's a bit. It's a bit of a unwanted run at the moment, but I think that's easy to see if you just look at the results. I mean, the Fulham match we should have won easily. Um, the Man City game we, we we could have got we could have got a draw out of that, considering how well we played in that second half. We just City invited us, and we just tried to seize on that opportunity. We were just very unlucky with the opportunities again. But then again, as well, you've got you know treble winners. There yep. and a ridiculous, ridiculous defensive um, back four. There, uh, there was a lot there that that went against us. Uh, to be fair, I'll tell you one thing that I feel like we, we are missing. It go looking into this form, we, we are missing Julio and CISO big time. I feel like he is someone that can just bring in that little bit of spark, that bit of dazzle in the midfield, and just pinging it in top bins and just having that. That fearlessness, that encouragement that you need when you go out. When when you look at how Ansu Fati's trying to fit in, he, he has his moments, which is fantastic. And we saw that in the Ajax match. But I think that's why we're seeing him, why he's been out on loan from Barcelona, because he's not being able to do it every single game. And if, if he was, he wouldn't be with us um, being realistic there. But I think if we could try and get him to be a bit more like how he was against Ajax, then every single match then we're going to be laughing but I, I just feel like if when Nciso's back and it's great to see him in training gear and the videos and the social media posts as well hopefully he'll be back some point in the new year late December time but when it becomes gets a choice between those two I've got I've got side with Nciso just because he's someone that's just seems a bit more he's got no fear on the ball at the moment and I think and Fatty's just overthinking things a little bit too much what do you think? Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think it was interesting uh, to, to mark kind of De Zerbi's responses to a lot of the injuries that have happened over the last couple of months. When Enciso got injured, he felt that. And I think the timing of it obviously was difficult right at the start of the season and that kind of thing. But, you know, you could see it in the press conferences. He he brought it up quite a few times without even being prompted about Enciso. Would would often say how, how much of a big blow that was. I know that the severity of the injury is probably worse than a lot of the other ones that have picked up since then. But, yeah, he deserved. He seemed to recognise straight away how how big a, a piece of the jigsaw in, in CISO really is to this Brighton team, and I think we have seen that in in the way that the attacking unit has kind of kind of clicked and clunked a little bit over the last few months. And you're right with, with Fatty. I think you know it was um, uh, certainly a marquee signing in terms of of getting him. It was a, a real coup to to bring him in. I think that he doesn't seem like a player that is uh, phased too much by maybe expectation and things like that. So I don't think that affects his game. I just think that, yeah, he's not quite found the right part or, or found the right position or the right kind of workaround to, to get the most out of him in, in this Brighton team. And 
hopefully, yeah, like you said, that IX performance was, you know, you really he really showed in it is in bursts. It's not, you know, for 90 minutes at this point, it is in bursts, but they were really good, weren't they? You know, the way that he kind of interplayed and, and, and the spaces he found, the little pockets he was able to get the ball into, I thought was really good. Yeah, hopefully he can get in because if you think about this team now, if if he if Fatty's on song and you add in CISO into that with his creativity, then the second half of the season at least could could look, you know, brilliant, which is where you want it to be, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Now let, before we finish off, we're talking about our score predictions. Uh I, I just want to talk about the situation that we've got at the moment with our injuries. We talked a lot about uh Julio and CISO there, but we also have well long long-term injuries in Danny Welbeck and Sully March as well, which is um, gutted to say the least. Obviously, March getting that knee injury uh, against Man City. And if you watch the highlights, you can actually hear him say, my knee's gone, my knee's gone, which just doesn't, you you, you just don't want to hear that really, especially for Sully March. Because I swear, every time he starts to get good, then his knee goes. And it's, it's not even the fact that he's just, you know, someone's just decided to wrap, six studs around his knee he's just so unbelievably unlucky and he's such a quality player and just shined over on um under deserby and knocking on england's doorstep once again but he's almost so close yet so far now for him and i feel so sorry for him because you know getting two two injuries in your knees is just it's far from ideal even in the modern day with all the sports science and sports medicine you have in the world it's just so unlucky isn't it yeah, it's a killer, and, and yeah, yeah, seeing that video, there was um, so you know, it, this is something that like I, I wanted to watch, but when I was watching it, I was like, kind of not cringing out, but kind of grossed out a little bit. There was a uh, some sports scientist that had shown exactly because you can see the moment that, that the body turns, his knee, his knee shifts, and someone had been like, "Here's the sign that this is happening. This is the movement. This is exact, and it's horrible. It's it's absolutely horrible." And you know, I've worked with not work with players but kind of spoken to a lot of players who have had this injury before in the past and it's 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 not nice is it and it's it's one of those ones that yeah you can you know straight away like you said Solly knew straight away and you know him seeing him stretched off and in tears it, it's just it, and like you said it's not even because of a, a horrible challenge that's gone wrong it, it's just a, a kind of freak accident if you will um so no that's that's not great and then obviously to lose Danny Welbeck as well which, you know, I think Danny Welbeck, one of these kind of evergreen players who seems to be able to, you know, lift the mood, not not only in the dressing room, but on the pitch as well. I think he's 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 a fantastic part of this Brighton team. So that's a massive blow. And and then with Inciso as well. And, and like you said, the injury list has not been helpful. Perv as well on, on, on at fullback, Tarek Lamptey, you know, the, the list has just gone on and on. We've lost Milner for a time. It's been a really difficult period for Brighton. And I think they probably should be commended if they can come out of this with with still still being in the the competitions and still advancing where they want to do uh, this season. Yeah, and we haven't even touched on Tarek Lamptey in purposes of Stupin and um, affecting the back four as well. And and Jakob Moda, who has been yeah. on for, out for such a long period of time, but he's, he's getting minutes under his belt in the under-23s. I think that's probably the almost like a silver lining, if you will, with the current injury situation for the Albion is the fact that someone of Jakob Moda's capabilities and abilities is such a warm welcome to deserve you almost feel like a new signing to him yeah. yeah yeah definitely and and you've seen it as well with some of the youth players that are they're getting kind of minutes in around the squad as well that deserve can't physically name an, an entire premier league squad of, of players that that he thinks 
you know, a first-team standard. So there, there are a lot of opportunities, like you said. And, and with this fixture list that's coming up, you know, it's not going to get any easier if that squad, like we said, quite a few of those players are, are long-term injuries. So you would hope to see a, a few new new faces in the team over the next uh, kind of weeks and months, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, look, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to the whole Everton match. I want to hear your prediction, Mark. You're not going to be joining us on the opposition um, viewpoint later on this week, but I'll go here. What, what are you hoping for going into this match? Well, I, I mean, we, we spoke before the, the, the podcast started about clean sheets and, and there aren't many of them. There's not many at all this season. So I've got to go both teams to score. Um, but I'm, I am back in a Brighton win. I, I want them to end this little Everton run. I want them to get their first win in the Premier League for, for a couple of games. So I'm going to say 3-1, I think, for Brighton. 3-1 going bold. I'm, I'm feeling it's going to be a nervy 2-1 win for the Albion. I think it's going to be a nervy... 10 15 last 10 15 minutes over at Goodison Park, and I think it's going to be an interesting one to see how they cope with it. But I, I think Deserby is going to get the going to get the lads over the line for that one for sure. Look, guys, thank you so much for listening to us. Be sure to always like and subscribe on YouTube channel and whatever podcast platform you listen to for this stuff. Um, we'll be back again later on this week speaking to Liv- someone from the Liverpool Echo. We've got to know all things Everton and what, what on earth is going on there off the field as well. Mark, as ever, pleasure talking to you guys, mate. Yeah, thank you, Tom. And, thank you. <laughs> and take care, guys. And as always, up the Albion.